You know, we, we get to travel to a lot of churches, but it's rare that we get to go to a place that we call home, and this is a second home for us. And we don't just love your pastors because they're incredible men and women of God. I mean, they are incredible leaders, anointed and appointed for this city, uh, but they are good friends to us. And uh, I've been the lead pastor of my church for about five years, and about four years ago, went through one of the darkest seasons I've ever been through. I uh, didn't know if I was going to make it, had pastors telling us we needed to get out and... Um, and that we weren't going to make it through that season. And it's because of Pastor Dustin and Pastor Jamie, their friendship, their counsel, that we not only weathered through that season, we built back better from that season. And now God is moving in crazy ways in California. Come on, somebody, in California. <laughs> Thank you, Jesus, for grace. But it's good to be back in Texas. Come on, can I get an amen? The home of Whataburger. My wife still thinks In-N-Out is better, so... Can y'all pray for her? We're gonna go, we're gonna go have our bougie lunch at Whataburger today so she can experience it. Any Mavs fans, Maverick fans? Okay, a little bit louder than the first. I'm a Nets fan, so I've been grieving all week. It's been a rough week. Please pray for me. Um, but I love being in Texas. I love this church and I love what God's doing here. About 90 seconds before Pastor Dustin asked me to come up and preach, God told me to preach a completely different sermon. So we're just going to go for it today, uh, and we're going to talk about worship. Is that okay? Can I teach you on worship? So I don't know. I, I really, I'm like the media team's worst enemy today because I've just been throwing crazy things at them. But if you have your Bible, let's go old school today. Why don't you pull out your Bible or your phone, uh, and I want you to go to Matthew, Matthew chapter 21. Today we're going to talk about a house of worship. Somebody say a house of worship. I believe that, that God has an intention for this house and the reason why he's, he's put this message on my heart is because I believe I was called not to give you information today, but impartation. Because last week you had a Sunday called the Day of Miracles. And as I was praying for you, I felt the Lord say, I want to take this church from a day of miracles into a decade of miracles. And I know that sounds real spiritual, like, oh, Cole, that's good. He used the D word. He's the same thing. Okay, it's more than that. I really believe this is prophetic. I believe that what God is doing in your church right now, I think you're at a pivotal moment in the history of your church. And you guys have had a lot of pivotal moments, a lot of breakthrough moments, but I believe you're in a season right now where God is about to release unprecedented levels of glory, signs, wonders, and miracles. But for us to get there as a corporate setting, we need to understand what it looks like for us to be a people of worship. Because it's in the place of worship that the release of the atmosphere of faith, the encounter with Jesus changes everything. And changed people change cities. This is bigger than just your church. This is, this is about your region. This is about this nation. This is about a generation that needs to understand why we worship. And in Matthew chapter 21, it's a story about Jesus. He's, he goes into the temple. You know this story. All my, who grew up in church? Y'all church people? My veggie tales people, y'all know what I'm talking about. Like you've heard this story before. Jesus walks into the temple and he sees a bunch of merchants buying and selling. There's a lot going on. And it says that he starts flipping tables. He gets angry and he starts making declarations about his intention for the church. And this is what it says in Matthew 21, verse 13. Jesus says, it is written, my house will be called a house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. The word prayer in the Greek there is prosuhe. And it doesn't just mean prayer, it means worship. And here's what Jesus is saying. My priority for my house is not a community center. Oh, you're going to make relationships. You're going to build connections. All that's great. It's not even an outreach center. 
Okay, you're going to change the world. You're going to feed the poor. All that's great. But my priority for my house is that it is a house of worship. When you come into this house, you are transformed by the presence of God because you lift up a name that is higher than any other name. I wonder if there's a people in Dallas, Texas that understands the heart of worship. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to pray and then we're going to sit down. But I, I want to I pray that the Holy Spirit would release impartation into our hearts today. I believe he wants to take us to a deeper level of glory. I had a funner message to preach. But this one, I believe, is more impactful. And I think it's going to stir your faith. So put your hand over your heart and let's pray. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus. God, that you would make your throne in this atmosphere. God, that you would invade this space with your tangible presence. God, would you capture our attention with your glory. God, I pray all distraction would fall by the wayside and we would be a people in Allen, Texas that become captivated with a vision of the risen Savior. Not a broken man on the cross, but the risen King of glory that's been given the highly exalted name above every other name. So God, would you have your way in this place? We love you and we praise you in Jesus' mighty name. And all God's people said, all right, high five, five people as you find your seat, tell them this is going to be a good one. Go ahead, just tell them it's going to be a good one. It's going to be a good one. Well, once again, my name is Jared Ellis. I am from Sacramento, California. Any Californians in the room? Did y'all move here in like the past year or so? Because a bunch of people are leaving, coming out here. But we, uh, we do love California. We feel called there. My wife is here. Trin, can you just wave to everybody real quick? My beautiful wife is traveling with me. And uh, we've been married for a little over three years, just celebrated three years, uh, the 1st of June. And we are loving life and loving every single bit of ministry together. I, I have a question for you, though. What did you want to be when you grew up? Just yell it out real quick. What did you want to be? Firefighter. Firefighter. Teacher. Did somebody say politician? Oh, I'm going to pray for you. <laughs> Lawyers, doctors. Okay, I wanted to be a rock star. I'm not going to lie. I wanted to be a rock star when I was a kid. Um, I, here's a fun fact. I didn't speak till I was three years old. Now, I'm making up for all that lost time. I'm a preacher now, so I talk for a living. But I didn't talk till I was three, and my mother was worried. She was concerned. So she decided to enroll me in speech therapy classes, and she would drive me, and they would teach me how to talk. And I just, I was doing it on my own time because I'm a little stubborn that way. But my mom told me that one day when I was about three, we were on our way to speech therapy. And as we were driving in the back seat, I opened up my mouth, and I sang an entire worship song from top to bottom, all the lyrics. My mom pulls over. She's weeping. Now, on one hand, she's so grateful to know that I actually can talk. On the other hand, she wants to beat me because I've been holding out on her this whole time, making her pay for these speech therapy classes. <laughs> but I've always loved music. In fact, it was my first words that was a song because I've loved music my whole life. I want to be a rock star. I grew up in church. So like Michael W. Smith, Stephen Curtis Chapman was on my Walkman, you know? And I would close myself in my room and I would envision thousands of people and I'm singing to all of them in a concert because I just love music. Music is a powerful, powerful tool. It transcends culture and language and barriers. It's crazy to see some of these bands like Coldplay will travel all over the world, pack out arenas in nations that don't even speak that language. And people are singing their songs because music brings us together when there's all these reasons to be set apart. And I think that for, for many of us, when we think about music, we think that man must have created music. But did you know that God 
created music? Did you know that some theologians that, that study the Old Testament account actually believe that before the fall of man, that everything was communicated through song? There are those who've studied the Genesis account. And if you look in Genesis 2 and you read Adam's first monologue that he says about woman being coming from the rib of a man, he actually structures it in a song and melody form. And many theologians believe that before sin entered the world, we actually used to sing to one another. Isn't that crazy? Some of you are like, you don't want me to sing to you. I promise. It's bad. He said, make a joyful noise, okay? It's not, it doesn't have to be a good one as long as it's joyful. But, but music is powerful. And God created it in order so that we would use it to worship him to exalt him. And even if you're not a musician, even if you're not a vocalist, if you don't play an instrument, there is something about music that connects us to God. We see this all throughout the scriptures. In fact, the Psalms is, are full of commands telling us to use music to worship God. Psalm 150, praise the Lord. Somebody say, praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in the mighty heavens for his acts of power, for his surpassing greatness. Look at this. Praise him with the trumpet. Any trumpet players? None? What? You'll be proud of you playing that trumpet. Come on, don't be ashamed. You need to join the worship team with that trumpet. I'm going to get them in trouble. Praise him with the harp and the lyre. I don't even know what a lyre is, but praise him with it. Praise him with timbrel and dancing. Any dancers in the room? I'm not talking about y'all club dancing on Friday night. Okay, the Holy Ghost dancing. Praise him with strings and pipe, the cymbals, resounding cymbals. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Your voice is an instrument unto God. You're commanded to use your voice to worship. Psalm 105, give praise to the Lord, proclaim his name. Sing to him, sing praises to his name. Music is so powerful that the Bible even says it's an antidote to worldly intoxication. You ready for this? Ephesians 5 says this in verse 15, do not get drunk with wine. It always gets really quiet when I say that. <laughs> My California church got really quiet when I said that. Let's try it again. Do not get drunk with wine. Oh, come on, somebody. Which leads to debauchery. In other words, when you get drunk with wine, you say stuff you regret. You speak things that make messes of situations. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. He compares being drunk with wine to being filled with the Spirit. Because I don't know if you've ever been filled with the Holy Ghost, but there ain't no high like the most high. Come on, when God fills you with his presence, something shifts in your life. But what is the result of that? Look at what he says. Speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and songs in the Spirit. Can you imagine if you came to church and the greeter just started singing at you? It's kind of like on your birthday when people just assault you with song for 30 seconds. Like, I don't know what to do with my hands. But, but the Bible tells you your music and your worship doesn't just minister to God. You actually minister to one another. You have the power to worship God and witness of God's glory in one another and encourage and draw the anointing out of each other in an environment where there's corporate praise and worship. It says, sing from your heart, make music, and give thanks to the Lord. We are commanded to worship. Worship is a central theme throughout all of Scripture, and music is a vehicle for that worship. Now, music is not the definition of worship. Worship is not about the songs you sing. It's about the life you live. 
Romans chapter 12 says this. It says, do not be conformed to the likeness of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your act of worship. Worship is not about what just comes out of your mouth. It's about the song that comes from your life. You could come to church on Sunday, sing a song with a bad attitude. It's not worship. You could come to church on Sunday, sing a song, and if you're living in sin, it's not worship. Worship is more than music. It's the lifestyle that you live, saying, I'm yielded to God. My heart is the altar. Let the fire of God come. Purify me. Make me more like you. That's what worship looks like. And then when we gather together, when we live a lifestyle of worship, when we corporately gather, that overflow spills into an environment where signs, wonders, and miracles can happen. Why? Because the Spirit of God is in this place. I wonder if I'm talking to anybody that's grateful for the corporate anointing of the anointing of the Holy Spirit that can release miracles. That's what happens when we gather together. But there are moments when we gather that God tells us to worship. That's why Jesus says in Matthew 21, my house, my definition for my house is a house of worship. Well, there's a lot of opinions about what the church should be. TikTok influencers have opinions about what the, what the church should be, what the church should be doing. But Jesus says this, my house is a house of worship. If you prioritize anything, prioritize worship. Why? Because life change happens in a house of worship. Transformation takes place in a house of worship. You become what you behold. And when you behold him in all of his glory, the Bible says we will become like him. When we see him in his victory, in his beauty, it begins to transform us. Just like the woman with the issue of blood pushed past distractions, pushed past the failures, and she touched the hem of his garment. One moment in the presence of God can change everything. One touch from the spirit of God can change everything. But that's not the primary reason we worship. We don't worship him because we get something from him. Yes, we are blessed in his presence, but we worship him because he's worthy of every ounce of praise I have to give. The lamb that was slain before the foundation of the world is worthy of the glory and the honor. He's worthy of everything that I have, and he's worthy of your praise. Before we can talk about worship, we have to talk about praise. Can, can I teach you a little bit about praise? Is this helping anybody today? I, I want to teach you a little bit about praise. So, so let's go to Acts chapter 16, a story that, that I think illustrates praise so well. Paul and Silas have been preaching the gospel in the streets. People don't like that, so they throw them in a high-security prison. They beat them with rods, and they chain them to the wall. And the Bible says, of all places, Paul and Silas are in a prison cell, and guess what they're doing? It says that they're praising God. Whew. Look at this, verse 25, Acts chapter 16, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns. Say hymns. We'll get to that in a second. To God. Other prisoners were listening to them. Can I tell you something? People are listening to the song that's coming from your life when you're in the midst of suffering. Oh, it's easy to praise God when you're in the palace. It's easy to praise God when you get promotion. It's easy to praise God when you're getting paid. It's not easy to praise God when you're in a prison cell. But that's when other prisoners are listening to what's coming out of your mouth. What do you say when you're walking through suffering? What do you declare when you're walking through the valley of the shadow of death? It says they were praising. 
And suddenly, say suddenly, there was a violent earthquake that the foundations of the prison were shaken. At once, all the prison doors, not just Paul and Silas's, all the prison doors flew open and everyone's chains came loose. The jailer woke up. And when he saw the prison doors open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself because he thought the prisoners had escaped. But Paul said, don't harm, a, don't harm yourself. We're all here. Paul is crazy. He has an opportunity to get out of this prison cell. And yet he says, no, 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 we're still here. Why did he do that? Because praise gives you a perspective to see who's actually imprisoned. Isn't it funny that the one man who had the keys was the only one that was actually in bondage? Sometimes it's those of us in the room who think we have everything, who got all the money. You own land. You work for yourself, and you're in bondage. And when you see the freedom of somebody else across the room that dances a little undignified, you realize there's something that I'm missing in my life. I thought I had the keys. I thought I had this all figured out. But what I realize is true freedom comes from the presence of God because where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is Whew. In that moment, he says, what must I do to be saved? Here's what I want you to write down if you're taking notes. Praise breaks chains. Praise has the power to break chains, not only off of your life, but around uh, in the lives of people around you. Now, can I just be honest for a second? I, I, I struggled with the concept of praise because I grew up in a very white Baptist church. Where are my Baptist people at? Y'all Baptists in the room? You raised your hand so politely and quietly like a good Baptist. You good. Where are my Pentecostal people at? Yeah, that's about right. That's about right. Y'all need better theology. That's what, we, that's what we grew up with, right? So I grew up in this very quiet little white Baptist church. And when it came to praise, we, we did worship. But praise, we weren't, we weren't too passionate about that. In fact, there were songs that we weren't even allowed to sing in my church. Y'all remember that song, Undignified? And now become even more undignified. We were not allowed to sing that song. Because you cannot be undignified. Come on, this is a house of doctrine. And so we didn't do that stuff. We didn't, we didn't get crazy. We didn't get loud. No tambourines in my church. You stood with your hands like this. I mean, the craziest, you, you kind of, I mean, but you, you regained composure real quick, you know. But then I got filled with the Holy Ghost at a little Pentecostal church down the road. In my Baptist church, everybody was white. In that Pentecostal church, nobody was white. And they did praise a little bit differently than I was used to. So uh, first of all, I walked in and it was just loud and it was crazy. And people were up at the altar. That is holy ground. Okay, I don't know what you're doing up there, but people were up at the altar. They're dancing, they're singing, they're shouting. But, but you remember bulletins in church, you had a little printout things. This little Pentecostal church had a service flow, which I don't understand why a Pentecostal church has a service flow written out because they never stuck to it and they always went longer. But there was this one section in the service called high praise. Y'all ready back there? High praise. Now, I didn't know what this was, but I saw it coming. And they were praising and they were dancing. But high praise was a little segment where the pastors, they used to sit in these thrones on the stage, you know. And you knew worship was getting really good when they started to stand up. And the bishop... During high praise, he would stand up and he would come over to the pulpit. And it was like the Red Sea parted. The whole worship team moved because we had a lot of people on this stage. There was one section for the band, another entire section dedicated to percussion, okay? We got down. And the pastor comes up to the pulpit and he starts what they called exhortation. 
And he would start saying things like, God is good. Oh, y'all ain't Pentecostal. <laughs> All the time. And he starts saying stuff like this. And, I, I was, you know, people were starting to get excited. I didn't know what was happening, but I was, I was ready. Now, I'm just going to be honest. I don't. I have a lot of musical ability, but the rhythm that God gave me doesn't translate to my hands or my hips. So I just, I'm, you know, I'm excited. I don't know what to expect, but I'm, I'm, you know, I'm excited. And he's saying things like, God is good. And all the time. And then the band started following him when he would say things like, he is faithful. He is true. Are we ready? Can we get that back there? Oh, here we go. He is kind. He is loving. He is faithful. His name is Jesus. He is high above every other name. He's highly exalted. Somebody give God some praise in this atmosphere. I said lift up your voice and let him know he's faithful every single day, all the time. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I had no idea what was going on. And then they do something called a praise break. Y'all ever, ever heard of a praise break? And they just start dancing a little bit. Now, I don't have much rhythm, so I just do, I do a shuffle. This is how I do it. People start dancing, running around the room. They're shouting. They're yelling. Why? Because they understand God's been good all the time. He's been faithful every single time. I've I, I, never seen anything like this before. My Baptist self would say, you are out of order, sir. I know what the Bible says. Let everything be done in decency and in order. You are out of order. But what I didn't realize was I had no understanding about praise. I didn't understand the power and the price of praise. You see, I, I had to do some study, the Bible teaching self. You know, I had to go into the scriptures and understand that, that you can't be silent when you praise. You can't just stand there when you praise. You see, praise is the power to break change because praise declares a solution before I see it. Prayer, de praise declares victory before it's in my line of vision. When I praise him, I'm saying, I don't see the breakthrough yet, but I know you're the God of the breakthrough. Therefore, I will lift my voice and I will exalt your name. Even when he hasn't healed my body yet. He's a healer. It says they were singing hymns to God. Hymns are not psalms. Psalms are cries of prayer. Hymns are declarations of creeds. What we believe about God, not what we want him to do, who he is, whom the sun sets free is free indeed. I might have chains on my hand, but I serve a God who's already set me free. Oh, you can put chains on me. You can lock me up in a high security prison. I am free because he set me free. Somebody say I'm free. Praise prophesize the victory before it's in your line of vision. There are eight Hebrew words for praise. Did you know this? Can I teach you a little bit Bible? Eight Hebrew words for praise. You tell me after hearing all these words if you could pray silently. Number one, halah. Say halah. This is to boast and brag to the point of foolishness like I'm doing up here. It's like what David did when he danced so hard his clothes fell off. I will be a fool for God because he is worthy to be bragged upon. 
yada is to lift your hands. Look, when the worship team tells you to lift your hands, it's not so we can get a good picture of a big full room. It's an act of physical surrender. You can't praise without getting your body involved. Sometimes I want to say things and then I catch myself. I'm getting better. It ain't your body. It's his. And when you lift your hands, you say, Jesus, my body belongs to you. Every part of me belongs to you. My life is the altar. Come and let your fire fall upon me. Barak is to bless with your voice. Oh, God didn't need my blessing. Yeah, but you need to bless him to receive his blessing. When you declare, blessed be the Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, something releases upon your life. Tehillah is to sing aloud. I know you sing out of tune, but listen, you can sing loudly. That's why we put the music up so loud in, work, in church, so you don't have to bother your neighbor all the time because you sing in off key. Zamar, to pluck the strings of an instrument. Tada, to shout Shabbat, to clap, and hallelujah. Somebody say hallelujah. This is a self-defining word. Hala, the first word, is to brag upon. Jah is the short form name of God. When you say hallelujah, you are saying, I brag on Jehovah. Somebody say hallelujah. <laughs> Praise is a declaration of victory when it's not in your vision yet. This happens all throughout scripture. Not just with Paul and Silas. We see this in the, in the story of Joshua. As they walk around the walls, seven days, seven times. It doesn't make no sense. Some of you right now, you're walking around the walls of infertility. You're walking around the walls of poverty. You're walking around the walls of generational curses. You're walking around the walls of frustration. You're walking around the walls of a marriage falling apart. And every single time you take another lap, you see the same situation. But God says, after you've seen it seven times, seven days, I want you to have something different to say come out of your mouth. I want you to lift up a shout victory and watch as I fight the battle for you. We see this in Gideon's life. That was the sermon I was supposed to preach. Gideon's life. God says, I want you to go stand with your 300 men up on the hill, lift up a shout, blow the trumpet of praise and watch what I do. And what does the Bible say happens to the Midianites? It says they begin to turn on each other. You know why? Praise confuses the author of confusion because you confess the solution before you see it. Whew. We see this all throughout the scripture. Praise breaks chains. And here's why it matters so much. Praise is the only sacrifice that God is satisfied with. How could you say that, Pastor? Hebrews 13, 15 says this. Through Jesus, say through Jesus. Let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of our lips that openly profess his name. Why is praise the only sacrifice that God is satisfied with from your life? Because whatever sacrifice you bring to God isn't enough. The Bible says on your best day, your righteousness is as filthy rags. You don't want to know the real translation of that scripture. It's nasty. It don't matter to God because nothing you can do can get you anything from God. 
your righteousness, how many times you go to church, how much you do this or do that. God doesn't care about that. That sacrifice is not sufficient. There is only one sacrifice sufficient. His name is Jesus. 2,000 years ago, he died for your sins. He bled. He was beaten. He was bruised. And his sacrifice is the only one that is sufficient to appease the heart of God. So why is praise the only sacrifice God is satisfied with from you? Because it's not what you can do for God that gets you anywhere with God. It's the name you declare in front of God. When you praise, you lift up the sacrifice of Jesus. Through Jesus, I receive the blessing. Through Jesus, I receive salvation. Through Jesus, I receive the Holy Spirit. It's only through lifting up his name. So what is praise? Praise is simply putting a picture of Jesus in front of the Father saying, that's the name I exalt in my life. So when you get in this atmosphere and the band is playing the fast song, the, you know, the one that you try to avoid and you come in a little late, because I'm really just, I don't need the worship stuff. I just want to hear the sermon. We, we always do that. Or we just wait to get to the good stuff. Praise is the good stuff. Praise is where power is released in the atmosphere. Praise breaks chains. But he's not just worthy of our praise. He's worthy to be worshiped. See, praise breaks chains, but worship breaks barriers. I want to bring you to a passage as we bring this to a close. I want to bring you to a passage in Matthew chapter 26. Matthew chapter 26, verse 6, a story that you've definitely heard before. But it says this, while Jesus was in Bethany, in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came to him with an alabaster jar, a very expensive perfume, if you do a study, you'll find that this alabaster jar would have been a year's worth of wages for this woman, a year's salary. Can you imagine bringing a year's salary to Jesus? It's more than just money. It's a representation of giving your entire life. So she poured it out on his head as he was reclining at the table. And when the disciples saw this, they were indignant. Why this waste, they asked. This sounds like my generation right here. This sounds like the people I hear on TikTok. This perfume could have been sold at a high price and given to the poor. Like it sounds good, right? It sounds righteous, but it's self-righteous. And it's a religious spirit. And a religious spirit hates extravagant worship. And we know that even if they had gotten the money, the Bible tells us Judas was the one in charge and he probably would have pocketed it anyway. Because that's what a religious spirit is motivated by, is by greed. Aware of this, Jesus said to them something that would have gotten him canceled in 2022. He said, why are you bothering this woman? She's done a beautiful thing for me. The poor you will always have. Ouch. That's not politically correct. Come on, Jesus. Don't you know what we are, we're here to do? This is what the church is supposed to be about. He says, but you will not always have me. When she poured this perfume on my body, she did it to prepare me for burial. Truly, I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Is Jesus saying that the poor don't matter? Absolutely not. The Bible commands us to give to the widow and to the orphan, to take care of those who are broken. But what Jesus is saying is this, when my presence is in the room, that becomes priority. When I walk into the room, everything changes. Darkness starts to tremble. Chains begin to break. The question is, do you recognize 
the value in my presence? Or do you let it pass you by? Do you miss the moment because you're caught up with other things? I just got a couple key things from this passage that I don't have enough time to extrapolate on, but, but a couple things to note about this story. Number one, Jesus is never too busy to be worshiped. He's never preoccupied enough to disregard your adoration. Number two, Jesus's presence is the most precious purpose of the people of God. The fact that we have his presence with us makes it the most valuable place in the world. Number three, the world will never understand why you worship. And even religious people won't understand. They will mock you, they will make fun of you. But number four, extravagant worship will always capture the attention of the world. That's why these worship movements go worldwide. Maverick City, Hillsong, Elevation Worship. Why? Because extravagant worship always captures the attention of people who are looking for something. Let me say it like this. Worship is the only rightful response of someone who has had a revelation of who Jesus really is. See, when you see him, when you experience him, you can't do anything but worship. That's why in Revelation chapter four, it tells us about the four living creatures that surround the throne of God. It says they have eyes all around, which means they can see him from every angle and at every angle. And when they see him, they sing one song for eternity. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty who was and is and is to come. You deserve all glory, honor, and dominion. Those who see him can do nothing but worship him. The depth of your worship reveals the depth of your revelation of Jesus. If you're somebody that gets into worship and you're like, ah, that's not really for me, I'm more of the word guy, here's what I wanna challenge you with today. Maybe you haven't really seen Jesus yet. I know you're not a musician. I know you're not eccentric. I know you're not that guy. But it doesn't matter what gender you are. When you experience Jesus and the beauty of his majesty, you can't do anything but fall on your face and declare worthy, worthy, worthy. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. It's the only reasonable response. Hear me, if you're a fan of Jesus, you will worship when it feels right. If you're a follower of Jesus, you will worship because you know it's the right thing to do. But if you're a friend of Jesus, you will worship because you can't do anything else. <laughs> worship requires something from you. Worship looks like offering Jesus something that costs you something. I wanna close with this. King David, the master worshiper in scripture. There's a story in 2 Samuel chapter 24 where he's looking for a plot of land because God told him to go build an altar to worship the one true God, Yahweh, Jehovah. And, and it says that he goes out looking for a plot of land and he finds a man with, with territory that he can build upon. So he approaches the man and says, I'd like to buy this land for you. I wanna build an altar to God. And this man is just overwhelmed with 
just the privilege of being able to offer the king his land to be dedicated to God. Newsflash, territory matters to God. Land matters to God. Property matters to God. Property that is set apart for the purposes of God still matter even in 2022. And this is what he says. He says, take it for free. I don't want to, I don't want to sell it to you. But look at what David responds in 2 Samuel 24, verse 24. It says, the king replied to Arana, no, I insist on paying for it. I will not sacrifice to the Lord my God burnt offerings that cost me nothing. And in our culture of convenience and comfort, it's so easy to try to find a sale instead of offering something that cost me something. And when we look at this woman who broke her alabaster jar before Jesus, Jesus says, this woman will be remembered whenever the gospel is preached. Why? Because the gospel is a message, but worship is a picture. And people just have a funny way of remembering pictures more. And that picture came because it costed her something. Your worship comes with a price. Worship means worth-ship, to give and ascribe worth and value to God. The question is, are you offering something that's worth something? Or are you just kind of singing a song? King David said, no, 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 I want it to cost me something. Worship will cost you your image. It'll cost you your pride. It'll cost you your attention. It'll cost you your devotion. It'll cost you your resource. It'll cost you your time, your talent, and your treasure, but he's worthy of it all. Not only does worship come with a price, it requires proximity. You can praise at a distance. You're good, you're awesome. But worship, oh no, no, you gotta get right up into the face of Jesus to be able to pour that alabaster jar upon his head. You can't worship at a distance. And some of us get extremely uncomfortable in the presence of God because it's vulnerable. Now you have to be seen. Now you have to be smelled. This this oil, what is it going to smell like? What's it going to feel like? That's a vulnerable place in the presence of God. But know this, that Jesus will never reject what you pour out upon him came with a price. It requires proximity. But the last thing is this, worship must be personal. The Bible says she broke her jar. I wonder how many of us come into church and we break Elevation Worship's jar. Hillsong's oil, my pastor's worship. And we never make worship personal enough to release our own oil. That alabaster jar, when poured upon Jesus, would have smelled like her oil. When you get into the presence of God, is your worship personal? Or are you singing songs that somebody else gave you? That's why the scriptures say this, sing a new song to the Lord. A new song is not, oh, we got to write new music. It's your song. It's your jar. 
because you have a story. You have a testimony. You've been through suffering and you've come out the other side. There's nobody that can sing your song like you can. And when you release your oil and your jar, it pleases the heart of Jesus. Why? Because it's not somebody else's song. It's not somebody else's story. This is my worship. This is what you've done in my life. I got a testimony. This is my story. This is my song. Praising my Savior all the day long. I have something to give.